So I'm going to DM Charles his first tweet, and we're going to get into it. Here's author and screenwriter Charles Yu. Is there another one after that? Oh, yeah, there's another one after. Uh, November 18th, 2020. <laughs> Should I read that one? Yeah, that was a great one. November 18th, 2020. That feeling when you win a at National Book Award and forget to thank your family. <laughs> You won a National Book Award for your fabulous novel, Interior Chinatown. I was right there online watching you, and you were so authentically stunned. You got caught up in it all, and you just you forgot to name check the most importance. I'm glad that you brought this up, and I, I hadn't even thought of this tweet. You just don't think about it. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I think about not thanking them pretty often. <laughs> I do, still, multiple times yeah, yeah. a week. And when sometimes they'll remind me. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Ooh, I just touched the wound a little bit with this tweet. Yeah, but it's good. I can't <laughs> let it close up. It has to stay fresh. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. Who brings it up more, your wife or your kids? I bring it up. Yeah, because you're sensitive, right? I'm sensitive. Like, I'm haunted by all kinds of weird stuff in my life that... Do you get the feeling like you remember a lot of things that everybody else that was present for that just has completely forgotten, but you're the only one retaining that memory because you feel guilty about something? Yes, I do. <laughs> and you're, you're the keeper of that memory. No one else remembers it, but in your mind, it's very alive, right? <laughs> this is getting uh, this uncomfortably close to home. Yes, you're describing <laughs> a, a, a significant percentage of my interior life. <laughs> well, that's good. It's I, I always feel so alone with that so it's like great to talk to somebody else that also has to suffer that because in the middle of the night that is a lonely lonely feeling you're like i got the memory that no one else has and then as soon as i'm gone it's gone it's a weird thing right well you can text me just text me or dm me January 4th, 2021, not quite noon on January 4th, and I already wrote the wrong year on my checks because pandemic brain and pandemic time, and also somewhere around mid-October, the calendar melted into a puddle on my floor, Dolly style, and I no longer believe in months or things like that. That got four replies and eight retweets and 150 likes, and... How are you feeling in your relationship to time these days? Yeah, I'll be honest. It's it's not in the best place. I, I think something has really fundamentally changed for me that I'm, I just am really wondering if it will go back. You know, I don't know if it's coming out of the pandemic, if it's climate change, if it's everything that happened during the pandemic. And but I mean, let's say the huge epidemic of hate crimes against Asian Americans, which has just been one of the most horrific disgraceful things I've seen in my lifetime. I appreciate you bringing that up. That's definitely high on the list. And on some fundamental level, it feels to me like either something was revealed or something broke. Part of me just sort of feels like nothing is quite real in the way that it used to feel real. That includes time a little bit. It, Everything has been like recalibrated, right? It's weird. And, and that recalibration kind of makes me question so much of like, that's what's going on underneath like, you know, because I'm a pretty positive person generally. I've been struggling with mental health these last couple of years. Like I'm taking antidepressants, Wellbutrin, the whole shebang. So I'm just curious, like, what are you struggling with in your mind? I do see on Twitter a lot is your, your tweets. And I always appreciate your 
candor and you know and also you're you are funny and and you say things that make me feel like oh okay gabe is out there i think like you're saying the role reversal that was another in just a long list of things that feels so hard to it really started like march 2020 when everything shut down it's like oh this is all just things kind of fraying like things breaking down that seemed like bedrock you know i know that you had a relatively successful and long career as an attorney before uh, writing full-time. You were publishing books then. You're more than acquainted with the laws and what's going on. I did try to read the Dobbs decision. And and of course, all of the news around it, it does feel like we're in science fiction land. Dystopia. Yeah, there's a little bit of a buffer between like reality and me because I think we live in the suburbs. I'm a very privileged person in a lot of ways, very comfortable. I always think of us as very, very similar sensibility. And you know, we have an antenna that is quite sensitive and more sensitive than anything else. Like we probably cry a lot on, you know, in our life, we've cried a lot in a room by ourselves. Yeah. And I did crying in the room, go out, eat a sandwich, come back in the room, cry a little bit, do some work. I think the crying is good. Like it's healthy. I always feel better after I cry. I'm also surprised at how easily I cry. Like my eyes will just wet up in a heartbeat, you know? There are definitely stretches where it was like that. I mean, I I definitely sometimes feel better. There are some times where it's like, you know, it just keeps going. It's like, oh, I thought I kind of cried it out. February 11th, 2021. I am honored and excited to be partnering with at TaiwaneseAm underscore org in creating these student writing prizes, which we hope will foster creativity and community. I'm also thrilled and grateful to at Shana Yang Ryan for agreeing to be a judge this year. Details in the link below. Thanks. So TaiwaneseAmerican.org provides a kind of central space for for a lot of news and culture and, and writing that is connected to Taiwanese Americans. This was February of 2021, dark times in so many ways. And I was doing a fair amount of Zoom talks and talks to communities and groups. And a lot of those talks centered around issues that related to either AAPI representation or inclusion or talks around what was happening with in terms of anti-Asian sentiment and violence. What could I possibly do that might bring some joy or usefulness to other people. And and so a writing contest came to mind. Did you name these? I believe some of them might have the namesake of a family member on here. The prizes are actually named uh, the Jin C.U. and Betty L.U. after my parents. I remember there was one interview you gave or you wrote an essay. It's like you were in law school or something that you came home and told them one day you wanted to be a poet. I've had those same feelings as you, you know, so I could imagine you sincerely declaring that. Was you in law school or were you an undergrad? Undergrad. That was an undergrad. Okay. So how have they been in regards to your artistic aspiration? Great and supportive. I think after some initial bumps, once I was on my way in my 20s and had a means to kind of su- support myself and were very encouraging and, and proud that like I was doing it. first generation how was that experience for your parents and for your family uh, i think 
based on all the stories they've told me, it was difficult, but also really formative. You know, I think they, in some ways, still talk fondly about certain aspects of, you know, their early years here. And of course, they're young and full of ambition and hope and energy. My dad, he came, you know, like a lot of people came after the, the Heart Seller Act lifted quotas. And previous to that, uh, well, for, for decades and decades, there was hard, hard quotas, like I think somewhere between 100 and 180 people were allowed in from like a certain list of country of Asian countries. In 1965, the Immigration and Nationality Act lifted those quotas. For instance, he came like on a grad student fellowship in engineering, because I think there were certain fields where if your area of expertise or knowledge was, you know, attractive basically to the U.S., then right. you could also come through family sponsorship. So that's how my mom came, I believe. They both made their way here in the 60s. They both immigrated in the 60s, both ended up in the South. My dad, Mississippi, my mom, Alabama. They came independently. They did not know each other when they came over. They met here. They met in the South? Yeah, that's a good question. They wrote letters to each other, which I think is very cool. And then uh, actually kind of courted that way, I guess. And then it, they settled in LA. I, if a song comes on the radio, you know, from like the 70s. Or they kind of catch their groove. Catch their groove. Uh, that, that, <laughs> that, that, that doesn't happen in our family. But um, definitely, yeah, it's like their memories. How long before they did start a family? Well, a while for my dad. So he came in 65 and I was born in 76. And my mom came four years later in 1969. They got married in 71, settled down. My dad was in grad school. He ended up uh, doing a PhD in engineering at UCLA. They lived in on the west side of LA near near campus and student housing and that's just like mixed in with all the other grad students yeah i mean there's some, a couple of pictures of that little apartment and that was the my first home more twitterverse after the break Back to Twitterverse. We're going to rejoin award-winning author and screenwriter Charles Yu. March twenty-first, two thousand twenty-one. I wrote an op-ed for the at LA Times about anti-Asian harassment and violence. Hashtag Stop AAPI Hate. The title of the op-ed was The Cruel Plot Twist in the Asian American Story. And that got 18 replies, 234 retweets, and 652 likes. This was shortly after the Atlanta spa shootings. Those were days of a lot of crying and thinking and, and also just being trapped in the house didn't help. Was that one of the first big violent things connected to Asian Americans in the midst of the pandemic? Obviously, there's more people involved. So many of the other incidents had been sort of one-off incidents, like one elderly person in San Francisco or, or Oakland. Yeah, somebody just ran up and shoulder-checked them. I saw that. It was just horrific. Those were coming in like a steady stream and they were they were shocking too, right? Of like, yeah, okay. how could you do that? Oh, I kept saying to people, like, you know, I was in the Marines a long time ago. doesn't mean I'm the toughest guy in the world, but I was like, if you see something, do something. It's a shocking amount of 
either apathy or just like fear of not wanting to get involved of bystanders. I'll speak for myself, a sense of like, is it that people don't mind it, you know, or because it's, they, they don't know what to do. I think there's that one in New York where security guards are watching an attack and then they, instead of going to help the person, they just closed the door. And then it showed the security guard just standing there inside the building. It's heartbreaking. Have you experienced, or do you worry about that? I do worry about it. I think less for myself, more for my family members. I think for yourself, you're always thinking, well, I'll handle it, you know? Yeah. But yeah. the idea of like a kid, especially, or my parents, you know, my dad just said that he looks out for it now. Yeah. Fuck. That's weird to hear him say because he definitely wouldn't have said it a couple of years ago. But even during some of the this time in 2021, I asked him, he's like, well, I think where we are, it's pretty OK. It's pretty insulated. But weirdly, I don't know if it's cumulative or what, but or it's also he's continuing to age and he feels more vulnerable. Right. And, and so and so to hear him say that was surprising. And, and I think that's what this piece was really about. You know, you read the title and there is a sense in which like. I'm first generation in the sense that I was the first generation born here, but my parents, you know, are, are Americans and they love this country. You know, my dad's been here almost 60, 57 years, right? Like this is his home. <laughs> That's a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, it is a lifetime. Exactly. It's where he spent two thirds of his life and right. raised a family, everything. And so that's the quote plot twist is like that this could be happening now this is home and suddenly to feel like an outsider or to feel that fear because of a very obvious markers like the way you look and we grew up you and i were totally gen x and i don't know about you but i always had this feeling we were pretty progressive because i thought we were pushing it forward parts of me feel like either naive or just like yeah just kind of shaken I was so deeply appalled by uh, the poor young woman, I believe Korean American, was stabbed in her apartment like 43 times. People in the building heard her screaming, but didn't do anything. It's beyond. It's beyond, you know? Yeah, it's, it is. So sad. Have you, like in the midst of that, I know that you've been going around and giving talks and stuff like that. Like, how often is that coming into the discourse when you go somewhere? Pretty often. I think it's important. It feels a little bit diffuse. Like I feel a little disconnected living this kind of very safe, very kind of privileged existence. So it's it sucks that my dad feels vulnerable, but I know that I'm among the luckiest people in terms of like you live in the gorgeous town of uc irvine right <laughs> yeah 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 i live in cape cod like we're, we're sort of the same deal and it can absolve me of thinking about it it's easy for me to go on a talk and, and pay lip service what am i doing or thinking or saying and what can be done that's a great question what can be done like what can people that are not asian american or asian what can they do when this shit happens around the country would you like to hear from your white friends or other friends like hey man that was fucked up how are you doing if a friend reached out i would never be upset i'd be grateful for a friend reaching out i, I think you talk like when i'm talking to you about it gabe it you're earnest and clearly you have a sincere and passionate interest and care for other people, including these people that are being attacked. And, and I think there weren't even necessarily spaces or ways to talk about some of this stuff before. And now it's so visible because of the media and because of conversations like this. So the pessimist in me thinks what can be done. And, and, and yet it doesn't, it certainly can't hurt to continue to think about it and talk about it and be 
um, engaged and interested. You know, I lived in Korea for five years. Like, you know, I think I just have an extra sensitivity to all of this that maybe some folks that just only lived in white suburbia their whole lives don't. And I wonder if either they think about it, but they're like, that would be so awkward to mention, or did they just not think about it? Because you see the guys on the timeline, nobody's talking about Roe. Like, no men will talk about Roe. I do not get it. Why do you think guys don't talk about it? I guess the most generous interpretation would be there are people who want to, but aren't sure what to say or don't want to say something that is either not fully informed. The least generous interpretation is it doesn't really affect guys in the same way. Yeah, I don't even think they could imagine like what it would be like to have the law inside your body 24 7 for whatever reason they're unable to imagine or to try to think about what that would be like and 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 then the same with like the hate crimes against asian americans like sometimes i wonder like are you able to understand what that might feel like it's hard enough just going through life normal without mm. that bullshit i think you're you have an unusual capacity and level of energy for that kind of empathetic advocacy and that speaks a lot about you gay but yeah I, I feel like yeah we need more of that like i happen to know that for a while you were working on uh interior chinatown your novel bringing it to the screen i forget maybe for one of the streaming services what's the status with that and how has that experience been yeah thanks for asking um still working on it it's still alive i can't this is one i can't really talk about i can say it's been great it's for hulu uh and it's been really a wonderful experience. I hope to have news in the future to announce about it. I love talking to you. Thank you so much. This is so fun. And I thank you for being so candid. I, mean, I really appreciate this. And, and thanks to LitHub. I'm so glad they're doing this podcast. <laughs>